Welcome back to the Revenue Vitals podcast. If you have been a listener for a long time, you knew that back in the day on the State of Demand Gen podcast, we would bring in CMOs and other marketing leaders at uh, at great companies that are doing great, innovative work. And we are going to bring that back today, someone that I'm super excited to introduce. I've been following along on the LinkedIn journey for what feels like five years now and all the great, the great stuff you've been putting out and now moving into a marketing leadership role at one of the hottest, fastest growing startups that I've seen in a really long time. And so with that, super excited to introduce Kyle Coleman, SVP of Marketing at Clary. Kyle, welcome here. Good to chat with you. How are things going? I'm living the dream, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Living looking the forward dream. to this. Yeah. I mean, I think the first, the, the, uh, the first thing that a lot of people are wondering is how did someone that come up, came up from an SDR become a a marketing leader at such a fast-growing, powerful company? Yeah, it's a good question, Chris. I'll try and keep this relatively short because we could spend the next few hours talking about this. But the, the short answer is that being an SDR and, and being an SDR leader does two things, two key things. One is it forces you to sit between sales and marketing and develop a fluency of language and a, a really deep understanding of what matters to both parties. If you're an SDR leader and you're not doing this, you're not doing your job. And so it was a forcing function for me to really understand what matters to marketing and what matters to sales. So that's number one. Number two is it forces you to speak and think clearly. You can't develop outbound messaging by using marketing speak, by using fluffy language without being really clear about the problems that you solve or really knowing the personas that you're selling to. So this combination of developing the fluency of language, both for marketers as well as for sellers internally as well as this capacity for communicating complex things simply. I mean, that's what marketing is all about at the end of the day. So I I wouldn't trade my SDR upbringing for anything. And now I don't have expertise on some of the more traditional quote-unquote marketing functions like product marketing as an example. But because I have this background to be able to think clearly about what kind of messaging is going to resonate, I can hold my own when we're coming up with narratives with product marketers or we're coming up with strategies or stories or whatever it may be, because I'm always thinking about, I've been conditioned to think about the prospect and what's actually going to resonate with them. And I have less of a uh, tolerance for the frameworks and the overthinking and the message testing and all those types of things that you could possibly do to get a perfect message. And I'm disposed just to get the message out there and see what works. And so experimentation mindset, uh, clear messaging mindset. And then again, always, always, always thinking through the lens of what matters to marketers, what matters to sellers, and let's make sure that we're developing a mutual set of metrics that actually matter to the business. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting to, to consider whether the way that you came up is actually an advantage, not a disadvantage. I consider a lot of, um, I didn't really get into like the B2B SaaS world until 2019. And I considered my outside looking in to be a huge advantage because a lot of other people have been doing the same stuff all the time and not cha- not like looking at it in a new way. Be interesting to reflect a little bit on that because I'm sure people listening to this podcast are in a bunch of different sort of functions and seniority levels right now. And just to see that like there's a there's a path to a lot of jobs in a lot of different ways. No doubt, Chris. And I think one other thing that has been really helpful for me over the years is kind of putting on the managerial lens and the sales manager lens is it's all about output. 
It's all about results. And of course, I, I care about the process by which we get results, but that mindset that's so successful for managing sellers, for managing SDRs, is just as successful for managing marketers. I, I apply that output lens to the way that we do every single thing across our marketing team. And there's no excuses for poor performance. There's no excuses for poor output, for uh, low velocity, for whatever it may be. We have to always, always, always find a way to produce a high quality or a high quantity of high quality work. And if we can do those things constantly, the same way that a salesperson has to, the same way that an SDR has to, that absolutely should translate to a marketing person. And if it's not translating that way, then you're not holding yourself to a high enough standard and you're probably going to be behaving and, and acting too slowly in a way that's going to hold your business back. And so that mindset, I think, again, an outside-in mindset on marketing and outside-in mindset for, um, for SaaS and what SaaS companies need to do to be successful has been really helpful for me. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's fair to say that Clary has really been on the scene the past like twelve to twenty four months. I've seen a large like re- in comparison to some of the vendors that you get compared against. Like I definitely have the most awareness and the most things going on with you all. Like at, now that you've moved into the SVP role, like w- where were the key places that you started? Like was it a, about a year ago you got into this role, and then where'd you focus initially? That's exactly right, Chris. It was almost exactly a year ago. And the you're exactly right about the noise in the market. There are so many competitors now, just like how the MarTech stack blew up you know, five or 10 years ago. The RevTech stack, sales technology stack is blowing up. And it's a good thing because there's more demand for the category writ large, but it's confusing for buyers because so many companies now you have point solutions that have all the bells and whistles. You got platforms that claim they can do all these different things. And the buyer is just like, what the heck do I actually need in order to run revenue? And so I, you know, I funny, I, I slipped into that, that little two-word phrase, run revenue, because this is something that we heard our customers saying over and over and over again. And we're like, that's our tagline. And this is what we're going to run with. And so what in the main, one of the main changes that we made that I made when I started 12 months ago was throw away all of the ivory tower, academic, cool sounding, focus group tested language. And let's just use language that people are actually saying. Novel idea, huh, Chris? Like listen to your customers and then parrot the language that they're using. <laughs> not not uh, the, the biggest revelation here, but it's super powerful. And so we took this phrase, run revenue, and we thought, well, what does this actually mean? What this actually means is that Revenue is a business process now. There's so much more data. There's so much better an understanding of what the different steps are to bring revenue in. It's not just an outcome that happens at the end of the quarter. It really can and should be treated like the most important business process. Because if you're not generating revenue, then what the heck are you doing? And the way that companies think about running revenue, all the different moments throughout the quarters that reps and managers, VPs, C-level people are doing in service of this revenue process, this is what Clary helps them do. And so all of a sudden, this two-word phrase, run revenue, it made us think totally differently about the technology that we sell, the solutions that we offer, the people that we help, and how we help them. It became less about the technology, became less about the capabilities, the confusing jumble of things that you know 10 other people in our space are saying they can do. And it became way more about the, the higher level problem that we are solving which is helping you run revenue like a business process and stop all the various areas of revenue leak that are happening as you're trying to do that. And that one sentence of positioning unlocked this whole avenue 
for us to go and explore. And it changed the strategic lens that we're able to apply to our business. And it changed the way that people think about what the value of Clary is, because it's not just a technology. It's not just a revenue platform. It's also clearly a different style of thinker that's going to help me as a customer run revenue better, achieve better revenue precision in a way that no other company can. So a very long way of answering your question. The main change we made, huge shift in positioning, huge shift in the way we think about category, and a much clearer emphasis on evangelizing not our technology, but evangelizing the problems that we solve and positioning ourselves. You know, Clearly, if you're talking about the problem, then people are going to assume that you are the solution. <laughs> so it's a little bit of an end around, but it, we are so much more focused on evangelizing the problem of revenue leak and making that language be the key language that the industry is using. And it's been, it's, it's been amazing over the last 12 months to see how much that language has picked up steam. Yeah. So uh, just for the listeners, we just talked through basically what I would consider strategy, right? Some people will call it product marketing, but that like what just Kyle laid out is like, what is our positioning strategy? How are we going to actually, what's the story that we need to bring to life? And then you, you mentioned evangelizing it, right? So it goes from strategy down to execution and actually getting the word out. So let's transition over there. Like the, yep. the, having the message is absolutely critical, right? You can send yep. it, you can run your ad to millions of people. And if you're not saying anything important, it's not going to get response. So message is critical. And then how, like, what are the key ways that you're actually getting that into the market? What's working best for you right now? So it would, the really important part here is that what I'm about to say, this is all true. It benefits from being true. So this is an advantage that we have that many other marketers don't have, and they have to fabricate some, some of the founding DNA of the company. But what's true is that our CEO, Andy Byrne, he founded this company on this premise. Now, he didn't think about it this way. He didn't necessarily use the language that we're using today, but he founded Clary in order to help companies run revenue like a process. And this has been a, a labor of love for Andy for the last 10 years. And so my job a year ago, as, it, as we were rethinking our category positioning, rethinking our product marketing strategy, all this, this positioning, as you rightly said, Chris, is how do we take this, this founding story that Andy has so much passion around, and he, he's talking to us and has been, I've been here for four years. So I've heard Andy say a version of these words for the last four years. How can we put this together in a way that accomplishes what we need to accomplish, which is telling an up-leveled story, rising up out of the category of what we're in revenue operations. And we felt like it was uh, a little bit too small for what the, the value that our platform provides. How do we rise up out of this category and create a new category, have a, a radically different view on the future of what revenue is, what sales is, and how do we tell this story that is true to us, true to our founders, and is a compelling view? of what the future is and what revenue professionals need to have. And so because Andy has so much passion around it, because he thinks about this for you know 168 hours a week, he is the perfect vessel to be the, the spokesperson, to be out in the market telling the story. So we made, once we figured out the narrative, and I'm happy to give you the, the short version of the narrative in a second, if you're curious, once we locked that down, and this was Andy and I working together Literally, I look back at my at my phone history back in May and June of last year. I talked to the man every single day for 38 straight days, weekends included. We 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 were on the phone constantly, like truly 38 straight days it took to hammer out this relatively simple narrative that takes three minutes to talk through. It took us 38 days to get there, and once we got it figured out, 
Then it was a matter of how do we give him the megaphone and let him be the spokesperson to create this, this true and like founder brand kind of mentality of Andy, you have the most passion. You have the most credibility. You created this company for this reason. Now go be the spokesperson. So we lit up his social channels. We, we created a cadence for him to be posting on LinkedIn. We created a podcast and we're bringing a lot of his stories to life through the podcast. We created a, a much different means of paid advertising to focus on the narrative and the problem that we're solving. And, and basically all of the channels, all the tactics that we have from a marketing standpoint are coalescing around this new and different way of thinking about the value of our platform. Um, meanwhile, we imp implemented self-reported attribution. I know that's near and dear to your heart. And we the results have been incredible. Like we get multiple people every single day coming to us saying they found out about us because of Andy's social posts, or they found out about us because a CRO in their network told them about us. They found out about us because they listened to a podcast episode and they need to solve this problem of revenue leak for themselves. So all of these things have nothing to do with the bells and whistles, the capabilities, the features of our product. And they have everything to do with the platform itself, the problems it solves, and it solves and the way that we actually take it to market. Yeah, I think I think it's imp I know I have a little bit of insider information. Andy posted about it yesterday. So I'm just going to drill this home for the listeners and make sure we get this in. Like, I know that and he talked about it yesterday that there was a point where he was skeptical at best about how LinkedIn is going to make business impact, right? So um, and I know that a ton of marketing leaders and, and other professionals that are listening to this are in the same place where their CEO sort of is skeptical at best. What was this? What was the shift that got Andy from questioning whether what you were doing on LinkedIn was re worth your time to what he's doing now, which is basically like publishing every day, like a like quite a bit of a content evangelism machine at the moment? Yeah, it's it was twofold. So I've personally been active on LinkedIn for about three years now, and we did a little informal. I was trying to convince Andy that it's it's worth the time, and so we did a little informal poll of our sales team. And I just asked them, hey, uh, you sales team, 80, 100 people, something like that internally. How many of you found out or heard about Clary because of me? And about half raised their hand and said, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't know about Clary or I wouldn't have applied at the time I did if not for seeing posts from you. And I showed that back to Andy. I was like, Andy, if I can make this impact for the people that we have here, imagine what the impact you can make for your network that, you know, for more senior people, you've been around the, the Valley for longer than I have. You've, you've been in a senior level role, obviously for way longer than I have. Imagine the impact that you could have, not just in recruiting, but in bringing a new pipeline. And he's very go-to-market oriented. And so as soon as I showed him like the, the, the qualitative, it wasn't a scientific study by any means, but just showing him the qualitative impact that that kind of presence could have, that was enough to get him really seriously thinking about this. Number two, and this is probably more important, is I said to Andy, and I'll say to anybody, that clear writing is clear thinking. And Andy, if you're going to be the one who's our mouthpiece, who we're putting up on stage, who's doing events, who's doing keynotes, I need you thinking about this stuff all the time and committing your thoughts to writing and building these thoughts in public, pressure testing them and seeing what kind of response you get back. There's no reason you should go and give a keynote if you haven't battle tested that messaging a little bit more on social and seeing what people say back. And so he really liked that concept of clarifying and crystallizing his thoughts on LinkedIn to serve as what could potentially then become his keynote 
uh, talk track or event talk track or something that we do on clary.com or something like that. He loved the idea of being closer to the positioning, closer to the messaging, closer to the personas that we're targeting. And so knowing that he was going to have a revenue impact and knowing that he was going to be really helping himself and helping the company in crystallizing his thinking was a really solid one-two punch to activate him on social. Yeah. It's such a great thought process to think about publishing on LinkedIn as a rapid feedback loop of market insights. Like you get insights immediately all in the comments from everything about exactly what people have questions on, what's clear, what's not, what resonates, why it doesn't resonate. You just get so many insights in such a faster way than I, like than doing a focus group, right? Or something like that. I love that point. Um, you talked about self-reported attribution for a minute, but I just want to go through it a little bit more detail. Like, well, talk through the, the, the state before implementing and then the state maybe 30, 60 days afterwards. So people can kind of see this. A lot of people that listen to this podcast have made this implementation, but I think the way that you've been able to unlock it to drive future action and other strategy adjustments is impressive. Yeah. So the, the state, the prior state was, I think basically like 99% of what demand gen teams have out there. We were optimizing our form fills to be as short as possible as we wanted as many people to convert as possible. And the, the flaw in that thinking, Chris, is that we don't necessarily want as many people converting as possible. We want as many of the right people converting as possible. And if they're going to if they're genuinely interested in the solution that we have and the problems that we solve, they're going to take the 5 friggin seconds it takes to fill out a slightly longer form. And so we knew that and we had to set the right expectations with uh all the the people who care and there's a lot of people who care about what the top of funnel, you know, lead flow looks like and we had to say, look, here's the conversion rate of let's just say our request demo flow because that's our highest value conversion point. Here's the current conversion rate of the leads that are coming in. And here's what's going to happen when we make the shift. Yes, we're probably going to see some downgrade in the quantity of leads, 10 or 15% of people that say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not going to take the time to do this. But the conversion rate of the folks that come in is going to be so much higher. It's going to be worth it. We're going to be waiting through the garbage sort of um, prior to any human intervention. And so we had to be very clear about setting the right expectations. We had to have pretty firm conviction that this was a test worth running and knowing that it's not a short-term thing, you know, it's not a, a week's worth of data that you need. You, you need to turn this thing on and let it, let it ride for quite some time to be able to actually prove out some of the hypotheses here. So that was the before state. Does that answer the question on the before? Chris? Yeah. Just going to, going to kind of simplify here for the people. What, what I heard there is like that implementing the form, what you expected was a, a, some type of drop in total submissions, but no drop in pipeline or meetings because the, that Delta is people that are submitting the form that aren't the right fit or don't have the right intent. So it's just getting washed out before the meeting anyway. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's exactly right. And now our, our job is to create groups of leads that have higher intent. And so mm -hmm. we're not saying that we're never going to try and capture that demand. We're saying that it's not super imperative that we collect their email addresses so that an SDR can follow up and browbeat them into taking a meeting. We, we're going to play a smarter game than that, where we're going to be educating them again on the problem that we solve and the value that we can add for them by continuing to tell this story, this category narrative, this platform narrative across all these different channels. And when they are ready, because of the word of mouth that they've gotten or the content they've seen or the ads or some combination of all of those things. When they're ready, they're going to come in and they're going to tell us what got them over the edge. And that's going to be super valuable insight to us.
Yeah. And so what are like, uh, you don't have to go through all the details here, but like, what, what's the top level breakdown about the stuff that you're getting? Like what insights yeah. do you get there? Yeah. So the hypothesis again, cause we, we thought it would be smart to have some sort of thinking on, on what kind of impact we're going to see. The hypothesis we had was that about 10 or 15% of our leads were going to self report LinkedIn as the means by which they found out about us. 10 or 15% was our guess. And we, it wasn't based on a ton. There's not a ton of benchmarking to go off of here. It was kind of just a finger in the air, gut feel kind of thing. Here, here's what we think. And the fact that the truth is that it's closer to 35% of the, again, these are request demo, highest value, highest intent leads that create the high velocity pipeline. These, it's about over a third are coming to us or hearing about us via LinkedIn. Now, the, the rest are are coming to us because of Google, or they say because of Google or because of a paid ad or something like that, a referral, things like that. Um, but to see the impact of social for us has been hugely encouraging and unexpected in a very positive way. Now, we are somewhat fortunate because our target market is probably the most active on LinkedIn. We, we sell to salespeople, we sell to marketers, and they are the most active on LinkedIn. So will will this translate for every company in every industry? No, of course not. But it was very worthwhile for us. And I think much of it does translate to pretty much every company under the sun. So I can't imagine that most companies will see this much of an impact from social, but I think many will. So social was over a third. Podcast is, is we're six or seven weeks in. So we're starting to see that creep up. Um, it's probably in the five to 10% range. And we expect for that to be a lot higher. And yeah, so so far the the things that otherwise were untrackable for us are much more trackable and much more defensible now from an investment standpoint with our CFO and all the folks who matter. Yeah. I mean, I got to believe this data is surfacing at the board level. This has got to like link 35% of demo requests coming from our LinkedIn presence. That's got to be talked about at the board level. What is, what's some of the insights on the discussion there? Like that, that's some compelling stuff. It's a, it's a fundamental shifter of thinking at the board and executive level for sure. When you start to see that stuff. You know, what's amazing, Chris, is I, I was somewhat nervous in our last board meeting. Our last board meeting was late February. And I was somewhat nervous that the board who's, they're all unbelievably smart and accomplished, but they are a little older school and they're not as, I, I don't think, I didn't think I should say they weren't as well versed in some of the newer ways of generating demand. And so I was somewhat nervous presenting this strategy to them because it was a main focus. Like, what are we going to do from a marketing standpoint? Main focus for our Q1 board meeting. And I showed them a stat that said between myself and Andy, our CEO, in year to date, so starting January 1st, we had 7 million combined impressions on LinkedIn. And we must have stopped and just talked about that number, that 7 million number for about five or 10 minutes with all these luminaries from Silicon Valley. And they're like, this is unbelievable. This is going to be a huge unlock. Like, keep going, keep it. So it was extremely encouraging. And we didn't even have to get, I didn't have to make the case at all for why this is worth investing in because they, they were much better versed on what the power of social can be. And I thought that was frankly pretty surprising. And so my, I guess the point of that is for marketers out there who are worried about how this is going to be received, who are, who are concerned that this is maybe too avant-garde, this is too new, it's too risky, you're putting your neck out there, it, it, you got to do it. You got to do it. Now, be smart about it. Be well-reasoned. Make sure that you have the right rationale and you have the right hypotheses. And to the extent you can, have some guesswork around what the impact is going to be. But don't be afraid because you feel like you're, you're, you're too you know, ahead of 
whatever methodologies or tactics your executive team or your board is, you have to be the one, you have to be the change agent and you will get support because people are smart. People like your board members, your executive team, they see what's going on. They are aware and they're active on social channels as well. And they see, like you said up, up front, Chris, like you're seeing a lot more from Clary than you are from many other of our competitors. That's intentional. And many other executives across these companies, many other board members are seeing the exact same thing. So that go for it is, is my answer to anybody who asks, is social worth investing in? Yes, it is. As long as you do it well and you're doing it smart, you're not just posting crappy content over and over, but you're posting things with a real point of view that makes a real impact to the market that's actually valuable to the people that you're trying to influence, it's a no-brainer strategy to pursue. Yeah, no-brainer. I would argue it's a must-have in today's today's day and age. Like if you want to do the things that Clary are doing, accomplish like major business growth, win categories, billion dollar exits, I think it's required at this point. Okay, getting back, you mentioned one thing on paid advertising. You mentioned something very specific, a shift from uh to evangelizing the problem from yep. collecting leads and email addresses, right? That's a, that's, right. that's a major shift that also requires shifts in metrics, right? Um, but just talk me through the, the philosophical shift first, and then we'll get into the data after that. Yeah. So the, the philosophical shift, well, I should say the instinct that many marketers have is, and many product management folks have as well, is, is pride in their technology. And that's understandable. Of course, of course, you should be proud of the technology that you have. But the outcome of that many, more often than not, is you're hyper-focused on the technology and on the features of the technology that no one else really understands, or you haven't earned the right to really explain uh, in detail what those features are, why they matter yet. You need to up-level the, the message to be more impactful or more easily understandable by the people that you're reaching out to. You have to earn their attention a bit more to be able to tell a more nuanced or detailed story about your technology. And so that this is what I had seen from Clary for the three years I had been here. Uh, prior to making the shift a year ago, with the exception of the outbound team that I that I ran, the outbound team that I ran were hyper focused on problem orientation on that are they're mapping back to personas, and then when we have discovery calls or when we have first meetings, that's when we get into platform detail. But anyway, the the marketing team hadn't quite made that shift yet, and so I knew it was a shift we had to make. But it was a considered shift we had to make. We couldn't just you know snap our fingers and, and have brand new positioning and messaging. As I mentioned before, it was a 38-day process. That was myself and Andy and, and many others contributing to the thinking here. And, and through the course of the conversations that myself and Andy had, as well as some other folks internally and externally, and I'd be remiss if I didn't call out Chris Lockhead, who is one of the um, godfathers of category design and really helped us crystallize thinking on this. The, the narrative that we ended up landing on, Chris, goes, and I'll, I'll give the short version. It goes something like this. Well, let me actually first say that Clary is, has been very well known for being a forecasting, revenue forecasting platform. So that was the kind of the position that we were in. That's how people thought about us. Forecasting and revenue operations were the main things that we were known for. Okay. So as we were thinking about what forecasting is, it's thought of as this bottoms up roll up that a rep submits a forecast to a manager, submits to an RD, submits to a VP, submits to a CRO. And okay, now you have some reasonable guess for where you're going to land that quarter. And we could have gone down the line and talked about how we make that process easier and you can auto submit forecasts and it's you know much more real time and all those sorts of things. And no one cares. No one cares. We haven't earned the right for them to care yet. So we had to up level. What, what is 
what is the problem that we're really solving here? And here's, here's the line we landed on. Most CEOs can't answer the most important question in business. Are we going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? And the reason they can't answer that question is because the tools that they're using to try and answer it are three decades old. They're suffering in Excel spreadsheets and BI tools and CRM systems, systems that were not purpose-built to run revenue. The problem that they're finding is hiding in plain sight. And the problem is called revenue leak. Because they don't have visibility, because they don't have real-time access, because they can't see what's going on across the revenue process, they're losing, on average, 14.9% of revenue to revenue leak. Imagine a world where you have a system that is purpose-built to run revenue, purpose-built to allow for collaboration among every revenue-critical employee, purpose-built to govern all of the key processes that allow you to control the way that you run revenue. If you have this collaboration, if you have this governance across your revenue process, this is how you can identify and stop every form of revenue leak. Claw back that 14.9% of revenue that you're losing every single quarter and be deliver revenue predictably and with unprecedented precision. And that's the value of Clary's revenue platform. That's what we allow you to do. And so in the specific to paid social, right? The common B2B playbook that you see everywhere, build some piece of gated content, run a LinkedIn lead gen form, do some retargeting for a demo request. Like, and the, the message that's delivered there is going to be, hey, come get our ebook. Or right. some might have like some very product-oriented value prop with a demo form if they're quote-unquote innovative at this point. And the shift that you all made was basically marketing the problem yep. to educate the market and not looking for a direct conversion, which is a strategy that I've been talking about for a while, but I would say still very innovative. And you got to switch up how you measure. So you mentioned how, you know demo requests being your highest value conversion. I would imagine MQLs had to be deprioritized in order to make this shift. So talk through how you got to shift the metrics before you can actually do any of this stuff. So what are the things you put in place? Yeah, that's right. And so instead of constantly beating our uh, prospects over the head with feature-oriented messaging, we pulled apart that narrative that I just gave that's very problem-oriented. And we basically served that up in a very uh, a series of paid ads to different folks. And we could give them a certain part of the narrative at, at different times and retarget them with a different part of the narrative. And basically we wanna make sure that we are ensuring that they know that we help answer the most important question in business. Will you meet, beat, or miss on revenue? We're solving the biggest problem that's, held, that's hiding in plain sight called revenue leak. And we do that with our platform that's purpose-built to run revenue. So those are the three main themes that we were hitting people with. And it wasn't about MQLs. It wasn't about see an ad, click an ad, request a demo. That's just not the way the buyers buy anymore. The buyer journey is, I wish it were that linear. Our jobs would be a lot easier if the buyer journey were that linear, but it's not. And so we, we knew that our paid ad strategy was to tell the story, to bring the narrative to life, to earn the attention of the people that we were trying to market to. And when we do, after some time, then we will start to see clicking an ad, coming to Clary.com, reading more, a week later, downloading content, coming to an event, finally requesting a demo. Um, so it's it's that and trying to understand what that golden path is or that golden sequence is of prospect behavior that we can then go and optimize for. But the main call to action in our paid ads 
in in certain sets of our paid ads was not about requesting a demo. We didn't want to ask people to do that until the second, third, fourth time that they had seen our ads. So that was the, that was the change that we made. And yes, a decline or a decrease, I should say, in MQLs. But interestingly, and, and this goes back to the self-reported attribution, we've never seen, never seen a great quote unquote conversion rate from the LinkedIn ads that we serve. Never. We've never seen people see, like I said before, see an ad, click an ad, request a demo. But what we do see now, Chris, is we can draw this really useful correlation, and I would say causation, between we're serving ads to specific accounts, so we know which accounts we're targeting. We know which people obviously come through our request demo page. We have them telling us how they heard about us, LinkedIn, podcast, Google, whatever it may be. And we can triangulate the, the actual reason that they heard about us or what a, a useful marketing strategy has been, where we can say, here's the cohort of people that we served an ad to that did not directly convert, but they came back through a channel. Here's the cohort of people who never saw an ad, and here's the path that they took. And now we have a much more granular view of why are people coming to us and what do we need to do from a marketing standpoint before we actually can earn the right to have them request more information from us, to get them to raise their hand as high as possible and say, tell me more. Totally love it. All right, Kyle, if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know what's coming. If you haven't, then we're going to serve it anyway. Um, so at this point in the podcast, if you want to turn around, you're, you're in charge of the topics. If you want to throw one or two questions at me and we can riff on them, we're happy to, let's do it. The question that I have for you, Chris, and I know you, you talk a lot about this already, but I, now that I have you cornered here, <laughs> it has more to do, it has more to do with content marketing. And I'm curious to understand what you believe the top, you know, few mistakes are that people make in a content marketing from a content marketing strategy standpoint. Couple of key or top mistakes: um, not having people that are experts in your customer's world be the creators of the content. Just out, you know, you're selling to CFOs and you outsource to some agency to write blogs about commodity stuff that CFOs quote unquote care about. I don't think you're gonna have a lot of success there. I think uh, only creating content for demand capture and not for demand creation is a massive, uh, massive miss for a lot of companies. So they spend all their time for search and getting G2 reviews and website conversion rate optimization, but no effort on social media, podcasts, communities, third party events, things like that. I think uh, not having a, a, a workflow that takes events to long form video, to short form video, to in consumer insights that feed back up into events. I think not having a, a content model workflow like that is a, is a big miss. And I think not, not doing it frequently enough. Um, I was, uh, just doing mentoring with someone yesterday and they were like, I, uh, you know, I, I feel like one of my biggest gaps is I'm not able to speak with such conviction and confidence like you do. And I said, go look at the stuff that I was talking about five years ago in the videos. I did not have confidence or conviction. It comes through practice. Yeah. Um, and me doing this, you know, two, three, four, five times a week for the past three years gets you to a different place. And so I think that not, not creating consistently enough is another issue. You have this thing where people are like, create once, distribute forever. It's, it's really not like that. It should be create often and distribute often. This is, I, I couldn't agree more with that whole rundown. And I should say something that our content team did, I think a really nice job of Chris is we created a thought leadership page. It's called runrevenue.pro. 
it's Clary branded, but it's not, it's not going to hit you over the head with like the Clary logo and things like that. And it's where we're housing all of our thought leadership around how to run revenue. And the only call to action on that page is to subscribe to the page. And then every Friday, a newsletter goes out from Andy, our CEO, that says, here's what's new on runrevenue.pro. Thought you'd enjoy it. That's it. We're not asking for anything. Value, value, value. When they're ready to request more about Clary, great. And what that does is that creates the production line, as you said. And I think this is what a lot of content teams get wrong is they create this awesome piece of content that exists in one form and that's it. And then it dies. It's like, man, you just put in a week, two weeks, whatever it is to produce that podcast or that video or that long form content or whatever. You've got to find a way to slice that thing up and, and repurpose it across all these other channels. Or you're not only doing yourself a disservice, you're doing the market a disservice because you're not meeting people where they are. Um, next question I have for you. What are you most concerned about, not afraid of, but concerned about with respect to generative AI and let's call it content marketing. We'll stay on that theme. Uh, so not like the robots are going to kill us, but more about concerned about generative AI with uh, content marketing specifically. For, for content marketing, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a concern, but I think everyone should be aware of it that the lower bar for content just went way up. Because yeah. now people can make commodity stuff super fast. And so the big shift here is that it's not about, it's the actual advantage is generating new insights, not just regurgitating other people's or existing information. And that's, that was, that's a big shift that's happening right now. So as AI increases the value of new ideas and the process in which you harness those ideas become actually the key differentiator. Because then when someone asks a question, and you're the only one that just created that new idea and it's on the internet, you're the one that's going to show up. So I think it's not necessarily a concern. I think it's actually a huge opportunity for smart people. Um, I also think that, you know, commodity SEO agency content writer type of stuff is basically over. You either going to have to figure out how to use AI to drive down the cost of content so significantly through automation, but the, you know, having people write commodity blogs by looking at five other blogs and copying and pasting, stitching it together is over. And that's very much related to your first point, Chris, about having real subject matter experts creating the content. If you don't have people that can actually think and connect different ideas, different concepts together, or create brand new ones from whole cloth, you're going to get left behind and you're yeah. going to be creating content that uh, a machine could create. And that's, it's not a recipe for success. We got, yeah, I thought this was questions were just for me, but we got to get back to uh, real quick about Clary Labs. You put this in place for this specific reason. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, talk, just give people a little bit of insight about what Clary Labs is, because this is a strategy that every software company should have in place for sure. Yeah, so so Clary Labs is our well. Well, first I should say Clary. Part of what's powering Clary and makes our platform as unique as it is is this proprietary revenue database that we have. That for every single one of our customers, we are snapshotting their entire CRM every fifteen minutes, and we're storing all this data in this enormous time series database that we call revenue, the revenue database. And what that allows for is, of course, all the machine learning and all the AI algorithms that are powering our platform and providing a lot of the predictive analytics for our customers. But the other thing it allows for us is an unbelievable telemetry about what's actually happening across the revenue space. So we're able to take this data, of course, anonymize it, take this data out and find different trends. Actually, that stat that I gave you around 14.9% of revenue is being lost to revenue leak. That came directly from our data scientists looking through the pre-Clary CRM data 
and the post-Clary CRM data. And so we're able to draw all of these super compelling insights around what's actually happening in, in the macro. Where are committed deals slipping? What is the slipped deal rate? And after a deal slips, what's the close rate on those deals? A lot of revenue teams treat a slip deal like the same value as a newly created deal. And the fact of the matter is those deals, they, their win rate is 39% lower than a brand new deal. And so revenue leaders have to know this thing, the, these things. And the Clary Labs is a means for us to, again, disassociated from the actual workflows that Clary is powering for reps, managers, execs, anything like that, and more to do with thought leadership, more to do with industry expertise, revenue expertise, and giving you the insight that you need to run revenue more holistically, more thoughtfully. That's what Clary Labs is all about. It's quantifying a lot of the kind of thinking that we have, a lot of thought leadership that we have. It's quantifying it and making it more valuable to revenue leaders. Yeah, I love that. All right, Kyle, it has been an awesome, like such a pleasure of mine to have you on the podcast. Shared so many great insights on category creation, messaging, um, your path up here, which I thought was super interesting. Gave some people some core insights and data with self-reported attribution, how you got your CEO on board with posting, which I know so many people are trying to do right now. So this has been hugely, hugely valuable to the listeners. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, help everyone out. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kyle.